Welcome to Slim and Satisfied, a podcast about weight loss for women dealing with hormonal imbalances. I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and I invite you to join me weekly for conversations, practical strategies, and resources that will lead you on the right path to feeling satisfied with your body and your life. And now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back. You're listening to episode number 22 of the Slim and Satisfied podcast, and I'm your host, Daphna Chazen. So did you get to purge your kitchen? Did you take the time to actually go through everything you have and evaluate it based on last week's episode? If you did, I am so very glad you took the time to do that. You took action, and I really can't wait for you to keep moving forward. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back to last week's episode, episode number 21, and listen to it. It was part one of this two-part series, and it's essential that you start there because that first episode was all about how to purge your kitchen, remove all the foods that are not serving you, the foods that you don't want to have in your environment because those are items that actually enhance PCOS symptoms and prevent you from getting closer to your goal of managing weight, reducing cravings, enhancing your mood, and reducing other symptoms of PCOS like acne, excess hair growth, and mood swings, anything that has to do with hormonal imbalances. That episode was all about how to purge your kitchen in a way that will remove those things from your personal space. So if you missed that, definitely pause today's episode and go back to episode number 21. That's where you want to start. That's going to set the stage to what you want to do as a first step to setting up a true PCOS-proof kitchen in your home. And remember, I put together a must-have freebie for this series. It's a complete guide to making your kitchen PCOS-proof, and you can grab a copy by going to daphnachazen.com forward slash PCOS plan or use the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's get into what we're talking about today, which is step number two and three of making sure your kitchen is PCOS proof. We're gonna cover both of these steps today, and I'm going to go over the specific foods that you wanna restock your kitchen with, as well as how to use them in meals and snacks. So we're combining the two steps and restocking of, of restocking and planning in this episode. What you'll notice is that we're going to be very intentional with the type of foods and items that you're going to be bringing into your house. Each of the things that I'm going to suggest to you has a purpose. It's going to be, for the most part, foods that we know are healing for PCOS. They actively help to balance hormones. And since about 70% of women with PCOS also struggle with weight, we're going to focus on that as well. Now, just to back up a little bit, remember that anytime we talk about balancing hormones, what we're really talking about is normalizing, and that means just getting those hormones into the normal ranges, the specific hormones that tend to be off in women with PCOS. So for sure, we're talking about foods that are going to stabilize blood sugar levels since that will help with the hormone insulin. We're going to talk about foods that can fight off inflammation since that's going to elevate the hormone cortisol. So anytime someone has inflammation in their body, we're going to see cortisol go way up 
or we have a lack of cortisol. We have too little cortisol in the system. Both of these things are abnormal. We want to balance that out. We want cortisol in the right sweet spot in that range where it's working for us, as opposed to making blood sugar levels go high and then dip low or cause fluctuations in sex hormones, things like estrogen, progesterone. These are all the hormones that we want to keep in check when we have PCOS because that's what's driving our weight gain. That could be driving a lot of other symptoms of PCOS that I just mentioned, things like acne, hair growth, um, mood swings. All of these things are based with hormones. And when the hormones are off balance, we oftentimes see a state of inflammation. So the foods that we're going to talk about today are going to help you manage all of these things at once because what you don't want to do is just address one symptom or just address one sign of PCOS and focus on the narrow one thing, the narrow thing that you're concerned with. So for example, sure, you could put a cream, a topical cream for acne, or you can work on hair growth in many different ways but wouldn't it be better to address the root cause? Wouldn't it be better to reduce inflammation so that all of those symptoms are decreasing all at the same time? One of the things that I wanted to mention here is regarding progesterone production. Progesterone is one of the hormones that tends to be very low for women with PCOS or fluctuating many times. And that's something that women don't get too concerned about until they're trying to conceive until they're trying to get pregnant. And what I always say is that you don't have to be ready for a baby to start thinking about fertility. It's all part of the bigger package. If you're working on weight, you're also working on fertility. You want to be considering all of your goals, short and long-term, when you're getting healthier. Don't just focus on weight. Don't just focus on things like acne. Think long-term, Think about priming your baby in the best possible way so that you can get pregnant naturally whenever that time comes. I think it's a common misconception to think that if you're not ready to have a baby, you don't need to worry about fertility. You do need to make sure that your body is as healthy as possible so that when the time comes and you are ready, you don't have to then start working on increasing fertility and making sure that you're improving egg quality, getting a regular cycle, and doing all of the things in order to conceive. You can work on everything right now. Okay, so let's get to it because I'm sure that you're ready to know what foods every PCOS-proof kitchen needs to have. We're going to touch on four types of foods specifically today, and of course, everything is included in the guide with additional details as well as recipes. So if you haven't gotten a copy of the PCOS-proof kitchen guide quite yet, Go ahead and visit DaphnaChazen.com forward slash PCOS plan. You can grab your copy right there. Believe me, this guide is so good, so comprehensive, and it's going to take you step by step through the process of making sure your kitchen is ready for you to eat healthy for PCOS. I also put a link to it in the show notes below. Okay, so last week we went through step one, which is the 3P purge. Again, go back to episode 21 if you missed it. Right now, we're going to get into step two, which is add hormone balancing staples. The first category of foods to stock up on that we're going to cover today is slow carbs. You may have heard of slow carbs before, but let's define what those are just one more time. 
Low carbs are the type of carbohydrates that the body breaks down over time, meaning when we eat them, they get digested and absorbed slowly as opposed to being processed within 20, 30 minutes of eating, which is what happens with most refined carbohydrates. Most refined starchy foods get broken down very, very quickly. This is part of the reason why we get so hungry soon after we eat them. So if you ever had cereal for breakfast, and I'm gonna assume most of you have, that's a perfect example of a refined carbohydrate. It's a grain usually. So usually cereal would be made from wheat or corn or oat bran or something like that. But even when it's made from the grains that have a little bit more fiber or nutrition in them, the way cereal is made is so highly processed that it's gotten stripped down. All these nutrients, all the good nutrition, all the fiber, some of the protein from the grain has been stripped down. And what we're left with is something that's very refined and it gets broken down quickly because it's already been processed. Slow carbs, on the other hand, have gone through very little processing. They're not refined in any way. So the way that we would purchase them or see them in the store or have them at home in our fridge or pantry is very close. It's a form that's very close to how they appear in nature. So when you think about something like a sweet potato, if I were to purchase a sweet potato, that's a pretty good example of a slow carbohydrate. It hasn't been processed and naturally it contains a lot of good nutrition, a lot of fiber. So it's going to get broken down very slowly in my system. And that's the benefit that I'm reaping from such a food. So really the biggest benefit that we get from eating slow carbohydrates is that we stay fuller longer. They typically take longer to eat. So when you think about something like steel-cut oats, those are gonna take longer to eat than something like instant oats, which are a more refined version of the same thing. So that's just a little example there. Steel-cut oats are gonna be coarser. They're going to take longer to chew. They're going to take longer for our body to process and digest because they haven't gone through a lot of processing. They haven't gone through a lot of refining. Whereas instant oats, they're broken down a little bit more. They had a lot of the bran removed. So the majority of the fiber and good nutrition that were in the steel cut oats in their natural unprocessed form are no longer there. The reason that we really like Low carbohydrates for PCOS specifically is all about blood sugar spikes. When we're eating slow carbs, we get less peaks and valleys in blood sugar, and that again relates back to insulin. About 70% of women with PCOS are insulin resistant. So managing insulin is a big priority when we're looking to manage all symptoms of PCOS. So I want you to know that if you can reduce insulin levels, with a sustainable diet like the one I'm detailing out for you today, you're gonna see a lot of things normalize. When we have less insulin, we also produce less testosterone and that can help restore your menstrual cycle. It can also help relieve things like acne and hair growth. And just as importantly, if you have less insulin in the system because you're eating slower carbohydrates, and like we said before, Lower carbs demand less insulin. So over time, you're going to see your insulin resistance, those insulin levels begin to drop. That would mean less cravings and a much easier time to manage your weight. When we have high levels of insulin in the system, 
The body is in fat storage mode. It's never going to be breaking down any fat because insulin signals the brain to store fat. So we have to reduce insulin as a first priority. Slow carbs are a great way to do that. One of the biggest misconceptions that I see in women with PCOS when they first come in to work with me is that they've heard that they are likely insulin resistant. They've heard that they need to watch their carbohydrates. But what oftentimes happens is that they cut out all carbs. They think they can't eat any carbohydrates whatsoever. So I have to say that I just love talking to those clients about adding carbohydrates and the specific types of carbs that are actually really good for you and are actually going to help you manage insulin. So you don't have to be cutting out carbohydrates altogether. I really don't think that's a sustainable way to go. You want to make sure that you're eating the right types of carbs in the right spacing and the right amounts throughout the day. That's going to help you manage blood sugar way, way better than avoiding them altogether. So I think that the quick results that people see with things like keto just feed into this misconception more and more since the first few days or even weeks of no-carb diets or things like keto or regimens that eliminate carbohydrates altogether and focus more on fat and protein, when you're starting off on such a diet, you're going to see a big reduction in weight in the beginning because when you're cutting those carbs, you see a lot of water weight loss. So nobody tells you that the first two, three weeks on keto, all you're losing is water weight. That's not true weight loss. So we get excited. We get pumped about losing so much weight in the beginning. And we think, wow, this is the plan. This is working. Whereas in fact, it's just a natural biological process where we're cutting carbs. We're releasing a lot of fluids because every molecule of carbohydrate that we eat gets stored in the body with two molecules of water. So the first thing that is to go when you cut carbs is all the stored water. So please keep that in mind. It's exciting, but truly when you're looking at long-term weight loss and managing PCOS long-term, because it is a chronic condition, it's going to always be there, you want to make sure that you're understanding that Keto is likely not the way to go for most people. I don't see it as sustainable. And really, carbs are not the problem. Carbs are not the problem. It's very inaccurate for someone to think that they have to cut out carbs in order to see results. But let me get off my keto soapbox because I want to focus on a more important topic, which is what foods I see great results with when I work with clients. So slow carbohydrates are definitely on that list. And one of the quickest way to know if something is considered a slow carbohydrate is by looking at the fiber content. So generally speaking, any food with about four grams of fiber per serving or more is considered a slow carbohydrate in my book. This opens up your options to things like bread or even wraps, some crackers, assuming that they're high enough in fiber. All of these things are not foods that you need to avoid. Now, one caveat with fiber is that I would like for you to aim to get the fiber from places where it naturally exists. So things like fiber one bars or cereal are not going to cut it. I want a whole food focus here. So not something where the synthetic fiber has been added to items like yogurt or bars. So sometimes we would see foods that don't naturally have fiber, all of a sudden you see they do contain fiber. So yogurt is a good example of that or things like 
granola bars could have some fiber, but some of the ones that we see on the market right now have enormous amounts of fiber. That's usually synthetic. So please remember that fiber only exists in plants. So if you see a yogurt that has fiber, it's likely artificial. It's not there naturally. It didn't come like that. So focusing on whole foods in their natural form is important. It's not just about getting the fiber in. It's about the quality of the food as well. So we want to make sure that these are foods that don't have synthetic fiber in them. We want the real deal because the synthetic fiber doesn't exert the same benefits as the other type of fiber. So we're generally speaking about things like starchy vegetables, like sweet potatoes, butternut squash, cassava, taro root, parsnips, as well as steel-cut oats, black rice or bulgur wheat, as well as quinoa. Those are all great slow carbs to include, and most importantly, beans and legumes. I particularly like lentils and chickpeas since they're super high in fiber and very, very versatile. You can do a million things with them. So stocking up on slow carbs and incorporating them into meals throughout the day is a wonderful place to start. In my guide, the PCOS guide that I put together, I have a great recipe for incorporating lentils and chickpeas. So I highly encourage you grab a copy. Again, daphnachazen.com forward slash PCOS plan. And I have some more ideas on how to incorporate these specific foods into your day so that as soon as you bring these items into your house, these new foods into your pantry and your kitchen, you can get started incorporating them into meals and reap the benefits we just spoke about right away. Okay, moving on to the next category of foods to incorporate when you're setting up your PCOS-proof kitchen, and those are antioxidant-rich foods. This is mainly something you're going to get from vegetables and fruits, so it's less so a pantry item, more of a fridge or freezer item. Produce is so, so important for reducing PCOS symptoms because it contains a ton of vitamins and minerals as well as something called phytochemicals, which are essentially an amplified version of a vitamin. They have antioxidant properties, so they help reduce inflammation and make our immune system work better to keep us well. To get enough of this goodness in your day, you'll want to think of veggies first, any time that you eat. To start out, it doesn't really matter what vegetables you choose. I always say that the best vegetable to eat is the one that you can repeat every single day. It's It could be one, it could be five of them, but I want you to focus on the ones that you enjoy enough or like enough to eat every single day in whatever form you like it. If you're already incorporating vegetables regularly, here are two pointers I want you to consider. Have vegetables that are at least three different colors. And number two, make sure they're all non-starchy. Non-starchy veggies are any type of veggie you can think of with the exception of corn, peas, lima beans, and potatoes. Those are starches, not vegetables. So we have at least three colors every single day if possible and make sure that these vegetables are non Starchy. The reason I tell my clients to go for a variety of colors is that each of the antioxidants in nature is associated with a certain color. For example, beta carotene, which is a type of an antioxidant, 
is known to mostly be in yellow, orange vegetables, or lycopene is another example that's another type of antioxidant that does something completely different for us. That's mostly associated with red produce, things like tomatoes and strawberries and watermelon. So I don't expect anyone to know the thousands of different antioxidants that include and what colors they're associated with. That's not what this is about. I just want you to think about colors, think about variety when you're eating your vegetables because there's actually a point to it. There's a purpose to it. If you have a variety of colors in your day, you're getting different antioxidants and they all work differently in your body So you'll end up getting a variety of benefits, which is what we want. We want inflammation to be as low as possible. Each one of these antioxidants is going to help reduce that inflammation in different ways, different pathways. So it's important to have that variety every single day. And vegetables are a great way to do that. So one example is that if you have a salad for lunch and you start with a nice bed of dark leafy greens, something like romaine lettuce or kale, you add chopped tomatoes and shredded carrots, you're off to a great start. Of course, make sure that you're eating enough of those vegetables. The amount does matter. It's not just a tiny little portion to check off a box. You want to make sure that you're getting a good amount, good volume of vegetables in your day, and the colors do matter. I once had a client who was eating salad every single day And when she first came to me and she told me she was eating salad, of course, I didn't get too deep into it because salad is great for the most part, however you have it. But when we dug deeper into why she wasn't seeing results and we really started to analyze her food a little bit more closely, we saw that the amounts she was eating were tiny. She was maybe eating a couple cucumber slices and a handful of romaine, and that's just not enough. That's not a big enough salad. What I'm talking about is a big, rich, full salad that has a full cucumber or tomato in there, at least three cups of lettuce leaves, which isn't as much as it may sound, and a good handful of shredded carrots, for example. Okay, so of course, make it your own. It doesn't have to be the vegetables that I just listed, and it really doesn't matter what vegetables you choose. Make sure you have a variety of colors and make sure that you're not skimping on portion when it comes to vegetables. You don't want to portion control this, that's for sure. I usually recommend a total of six cups of veggies a day, that's measured raw, broken down into three cups of leafy greens and three cups of non-starchy vegetables. So if you're not a fan of raw veggies and you eat those mostly cooked, you eat your vegetables mostly cooked, you'll be aiming for a little less, maybe three to four cups as opposed to six, but that's the correct amount. And again, you want to diversify the colors as much as possible. As a side note here, because this is a question I get fairly often, you don't have to shy away from frozen vegetables. Sure, in an ideal world, we'll all be eating perfectly fresh produce every single day, but it can be hard to keep up with it and things do spoil. So you can certainly buy steamable vegetables bags, uh, the ones that come in the frozen section of the supermarket. They're fairly high in quality because they're flash frozen, which means that they were frozen fairly close to the time that they are picked And that's sometimes better in terms of nutritional value than produce that is fresh but has traveled halfway across the globe than sat in the supermarket under fluorescent lights for a week. So go for frozen. It's way better than letting vegetables rot in your fridge and never get to your mouth. 
right? Fruit is another great source of antioxidants, of course. I typically suggest sticking with two servings of fruit per day. That's a medium piece of fruit or a cup of cut-up fruit. Each one of those is considered a serving. But because of sugar content, again, you don't want to do too much. So I wouldn't go with more than two, maybe three servings of fruit per day. Although it's natural sugar, we still want to be mindful of it. So for this reason, I recommend choosing mostly things like berries, apples, pears, and citrus, because those are going to be highest in antioxidants and fairly low in sugar, and they're also high in fiber. Okay, so we spoke about slow carbs. We spoke about antioxidants. Let's move on to a really important category of foods to have in your kitchen, and those are healthy fats. We used to think that fats are bad all around. This was a while back. We now know that the amount of fat that we eat is really not as important as the type of fat. So including healthy fats in our day is certainly something we want to do. And to make your kitchen PCOS proof, you definitely need healthy fats in a variety of ways. So let's talk about that. Last week, we spoke about removing pro-inflammatory oils from your kitchen, which are all the types of vegetable oils that we see in the supermarkets, things like corn oil and canola oil and um, vegetable oil. To replace those with healthier alternatives, we want to focus on two specific types of oils called monounsaturated and polyunsaturated oils. We're not going to get too deep into what the chemical structure is because that's not important for our purposes. But what I want you to know is that these are the two types of oils that our body can process better as opposed to turning them into toxins that promote more inflammation, which is the case with the other vegetable oils that we spoke about last week. In order to do this, in order to have your kitchen be full of the right types of fats, the healthy fats that we just spoke about, I want you to think about bringing in items like nuts, So they could be almonds, walnuts, pistachios. Those are the three I usually recommend the most. Seeds, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, sunflowers, sesame seeds, as well as, of course, avocados, which are a great source of healthy fat, olive oil for cooking and salad dressings, and most importantly, fatty fish. The type of fat in fish, like salmon and trout, is omega-3 fats, which I'm sure you've heard about, and it's highly, highly anti-inflammatory. This is a great type of fat that can help reduce a lot of different symptoms that women with PCOS often suffer with. Plus, fish is a great source of protein, so you want to make sure that you include it regularly at least a couple times a week. And if you don't like fish or you have a hard time getting it in your diet regularly, you probably want to consider an omega-3 supplement so you can still get those benefits. Do consult with a healthcare professional before adding any supplement, though. And if you need more information about PCOS-specific supplements, I did a whole episode talking about supplements. It was a part of my three-piece series about PCOS basics, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes below. So do go check it out if you're interested in learning more about the specific types of supplements that are beneficial for women with PCOS but I do recommend you consider an omega-3 supplement for sure if you have a hard time getting fish into your diet. And since we're on the topic of healthy fats, I just want to mention something regarding coconut oil and butter because this is a common question that often comes up. So I just want to give you my take on it. 
So you can take the information and make your own decisions about whether or not you want to incorporate coconut oil and butter into your diet. But here's what I think about it. Coconut oil and butter are both mostly saturated. So what I usually recommend is that if you add them into your diet, you want to do so in moderate amounts. Looking at the research, I really don't find that coconut oil is so beneficial for weight management or for our health that we really need to add it at every single meal or eat it straight up like you see on social media or some of the more hyped up diets that are out there. But if you like a little coconut oil or butter in the pan when you cook, that's really a non-issue. Just keep in mind that both of those fats are highly saturated So I usually recommend that people stick with no more than a tablespoon or two per day of either one of them. That's it. Make it a non-issue. Let it be easy. If you want to have a little bit of butter or if you want to cook with a little bit of coconut oil, no big deal. I wouldn't do shots of coconut oil or put dollops of it in my coffee. I don't think that's necessary. Calories do add up and saturated fat is definitely not beneficial for inflammation. So Make sure instead of these two fats that you're focusing on having nuts to snack on, avocados to add to your salads, or to replace spreads like mayonnaise with avocado. That's another great strategy. You want to add some chia seeds to throw in into your yogurt or your shakes, as well as olive oil when you're cooking or preparing a salad dressing. These are some examples of using these healthy fats in different meals throughout the day. You're going to feel a lot fuller too if your meals have the right type of fat included in them. So again, my guide has a great selection of recipes that include healthy fats, so go check it out. The link is in the show notes. Moving on to the last category of foods to bring into your kitchen, and this is likely something you're not focusing on right now, but you totally should be, and that's foods that contain probiotics naturally. So I'm going to assume that you've heard of probiotics in terms of gut health, and it is true that having the right amount and the right mix of gut bacteria, which is what probiotics are, is key to a happy digestive system. Many women with PCOS struggle with IBS, bloating, constipation or diarrhea, and other symptoms. So incorporating probiotic foods can really help balance the digestive tract, assuming no other condition has been diagnosed, of course. But what many women do not realize is that probiotics can actually do so much more than reduce gas. Studies show that when we don't have enough friendly bacteria in the gut, the not-so-friendly bacteria take over, and that can be very harmful for our health. So we do have gut bacteria that's beneficial and some that's harmful. And believe it or not, the more harmful bacteria we have in the gut, the more the brain is going to receive signals for all sorts of things, including sugar cravings, secretion of hormones that cause more depression. And there's even some evidence that having the wrong makeup of bacteria in the gut can impact weight negatively. So we definitely want to restore the balance and promote the good bacterial cultures so that they dominate what happens in the gut and ultimately dominate what happens in the rest of the body. So these creatures actually signal different things to the brain. They send all kinds of chemical messengers and hormones that signal us to crave certain foods or even change how food tastes for us, as well as impact our mental health. And these are all things that are relevant when we're talking about PCOS, of course. 
So to do this, to help the bacteria flourish in a positive way, we need to focus on probiotic-rich foods, which are typically fermented foods, such as soy or tofu, Greek yogurt, kombucha, which is an effervescent drink that contains probiotics, as well as pickled foods that are fermented like sauerkraut and kimchi. So if you've never heard of some of these foods, don't worry, I'm going to go into detail about what they are. But again, you can find more information in the guide and you definitely want to be creative and think outside the box a little bit, even if these are foods that you've never had before or if you think that you don't like them. Give them a second chance. Try them out and see. Maybe you'll find a version or a way to prepare them that you do find acceptable and enjoyable and you can incorporate them into your diet regularly. So a little goes a long way here. So I wouldn't add too many sources all at once, but you can definitely start with one or two servings per day of any of the foods that I just mentioned and see how you feel. For example, you can incorporate a Greek yogurt as a snack every single day, or maybe you want to try to have some sort of stir fry and instead of shrimp or chicken, try cube tofu in there. The other thing that you can do is sip on kombucha with your lunch. So as I said before, kombucha is kind of like a fizzy juice drink that has live cultures and it tastes pretty good. It's a little bit on the tart side and you want to watch the sugar content, but that's another great way to get started with eating or drinking more probiotic rich foods. The other food I mentioned that you may not be familiar with is kimchi, which is a type of condiment that's made of fermented cabbage. So I know it sounds a little bit strange, but it's basically the Korean version of sauerkraut. And you can use that on a sandwich or as a side dish or on top of a protein. So if you grill chicken, you can chop some kimchi on top of that and try it that way. In addition to probiotics, prebiotics are also worth mentioning here. Probiotics, as we just said, are the actual bacteria in the gut But if we want these bacteria to flourish and stay alive and active, we need to feed them. And the food that bacteria love the most is called prebiotics. It's a type of starchy fiber that these friendly bacteria feed on, and that's the stuff that they ferment. And it's found mostly in plants like garlic, onion, asparagus, fennel, green peas, sweet corn, and cabbage. So It's wise to add these foods, these specific vegetables in when you're planning your meals so that you can get both the bacteria and also the food that they're going to feed on so that they can flourish. Again, specific ideas are in the guide. Go to daphnachazen.com forward slash PCOS plan. So there you have it. We just went over four food categories that are essential for creating a PCOS proof kitchen. We talked about slow carbs, antioxidants, healthy fats, and fermented foods. I hope you enjoyed this two-part series and that you're able to take action on what I shared with you. And if you found this information helpful and you've enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. It helps more people find the show and it helps me share more of this information with as many women as possible. And if you take a moment to leave a review and email a screenshot of your review that you just left to 
Daphna at DaphnaChazen.com. I'm going to be giving away $25 Amazon gift cards. So if you leave a review, make sure you let me know about it so that you can get your gift card via email right away. Thanks so much for being here and I'll see you again next week. Bye for now.